So like I said, I'm James. I am the youth pastor. I know I've said that already. You guys know. So let's dive right into it. Um, we have taken a break from our First Corinthians series for like the last six weeks. We did a, a series with Christmas, and then we did a series kind of standalone a few weeks. So we are diving back into First Corinthians, which is this really cool picture. Uh, uh, Paul writing a letter to the church in Corinth saying, all right, this is how I imagine you guys doing life personally and corporately in your church gatherings. And so we are diving right back into that today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9. So if you want to put your finger there, I'm going to break like the, the most significant rule of, of teaching, which is if you're teaching in a passage, you don't jump like a few chapters in the future because we're going to be there in like two weeks. But I'm going to read one verse from 1 Corinthians 11. I know that's wrong, but I'm going to do it. So 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, let's throw it up on the screen. It says, and you, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. He says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. All right, so that's the challenge for this morning, is that we want our lives to look like Paul's. And Paul wasn't just like on an island saying, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm going to do. It's that Paul had examined and knew the life of Jesus, knew the mind and the heart of Jesus and said, this is how I'm going to choose to live. And so that's, that's what I have for you today is that we would become imitators of Paul, who was an imitator of Jesus. And so we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 9. But before I do that, I have to tell you a terrible story. And the reason why I say it's a terrible story is that this story happened 20 years ago, which means I'm old. And that's a hard thing for me to face. But 20 years ago, this spring, I was a junior at Nebraska Wesleyan University. And I lived in a fraternity house, Omega Alpha Chi, and I, I remember on this particular day, I was like, if you walked in the front door, there was this gigantic wide open area. And then there was a table that sat over there. And this is where some of us did our studying. And so on this particular afternoon, I was sitting there studying when one of my roommates came into the house, fly, you know, door flies open, he stomps in, he looks at me and he goes, Paul's a liar. Paul is a liar. Paul's a sinner. Now I don't disagree that Paul might have been a liar sometimes, might've been a sinner sometimes, but I was like, what do you mean, man? What do you mean? And so we sat down together and had like a 30-minute conversation about these four verses. And so 20 years ago, this was incredibly important to me. And it was something that this guy, his name was Chris, made me think through. And I'm excited to talk about it with you. So like I said, if you have your, your, your finger in 1 Corinthians 9, we're going to focus on verses 19 through 22, 23, 24. And so as I read these verses, the word that I want you to, to hear, to jump out, is the word when. And you'll notice that as I read it, it's going to be on the screen, and I bolded it in all capitals because I want you to see this word as well. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Here we go. Though I am free and I belong to no one, <clears throat> I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, 
I might save some. 20 years ago, I'm sitting at a table when my roommate comes in and he says, Paul was a liar. Paul was manipulating people. Paul wanted to tell people about Jesus, but depending on who he was with, he would just say whatever, he, whatever they wanted to hear. He was manipulating them. He was lying to them. He wasn't telling them the truth. He was telling them a version of the truth that worked for whoever was there. And so he and I had this conversation, and we talked about what Paul's heart was in these four verses. And as you study them, as you examine them, you find out that that wasn't Paul's heart at all. Not at all. He wasn't acting in an inconsistent manner. He was simply adapting his approach to the different groups of people based on who was in that group. So when he stood in front of a crowd, he knew the people that were in the crowd and he shared truth in a way that would get from here to here. He didn't lie to them. He catered his message so that they wouldn't just write him off. One of the things I like about um, Life Group right now, Tony's been doing a great job writing questions. This is a subtle plug for Life Group. Jump in a Life Group. Love to have you all jump in a Life Group. So um, one of the things that we do is we read, the start of Life Group is we read a series of verses and it says, read it in as many versions of the Bible as you can. And so the guys in my group, we've decided we're going to read it in two, three, four different versions of the Bible. This week, I think we read it in like five but we read in a bunch of different versions, and one of the versions that, that we read, and typically it's last, is the message. Now, I wouldn't say to any of you in here, hey, make sure that you're only reading the message, only study the message, but it is a phenomenal version of the Bible to help you get at the heart of what you're reading. If what you're reading is difficult and it's hard to understand, the message is an incredible tool. And so I'm going to read these verses to you again from the message, and I think that it will help us get at the heart of what Paul is after. So 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22 in the message, it says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious people, non-religious people, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever, whoever, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. There are two things that I want to focus on with what I just read. The first is, as you exist in this life, you are going to come across lots of different people with lots of value systems from lots of different backgrounds. There is no carbon copy of a person that you are going to run across in this life. But is the gospel more, in, is, it, is it more important that we share it with one person than, than we share it with this other person? Has this person more earned the right to hear the gospel than this person? No. And so as Paul existed in his life, he's like, I don't care who comes right here, they're going to hear the gospel. And they're going to hear the gospel in a way that makes sense to them. In a way that makes sense to them. And then the second thing is, I want you to, 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 it says, experience things from their point of view. Does that mean that he was willing to just like say whatever and do whatever? No. Everything that he said, I kept my bearings in Christ. 
He said, I entered their world and I tried, to, I tried to understand their point of view. I tried to jump into their world, but he always did it while keeping his bearings in Christ. The foundation of his life was Christ. It was Christ. No matter what situation he was in, no matter who he was talking to, even though the conversation might look different, the foundation was always about Christ. It was always about Christ. And so if we put up 1 Corinthians 9.22 again, it says, I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. All things, all people, all possible means that I might save some. Be imitators of me as, I, as I've been an imitator of Christ. That's our challenge this morning, that we would become all things to all people so that by all possible means, we might save some. This church started in 2005, 2006, sometime around there, 15-ish years ago. And one of the things that you will have heard the most over the course of the last 15 years is this phrase. What matters most is people finding Jesus. Let me say that again. What matters most is people finding Jesus. This is just another way of saying, by all means, all things to all people, so that, by all possible means, so that I might save some. What matters most is people finding Jesus. For 15 years, this has been a central part of why we choose to be here on Sunday mornings, on why we choose to be out there living the way that we're living amongst the people that God, again, has put right here. I become all things to all people so that I might save some. The truth of this morning is I'm here that I might save some. I'm here, here on planet Earth. I am here today in this moment that I might save some. So if we look at this, state, this phrase, all things to all people, what isn't it? What isn't being all things to all people? The first thing is it's not an attempt to control anybody. I don't know about you, but I hate feeling like somebody is trying to control me. I don't like the idea that there's like, we got this remote control joystick and James is going over here and James is going over to this direction because I'm being controlled somehow. Nobody likes to be controlled. And so in our relationships with people, let's try not to control them. Let's try not to make them feel like we're trying to control them. The second thing is, let's make sure that we're not fixing people. Let's, or, or, or let me say, let's not view people as projects. Let's not make them feel like they are broken to us and that we have all the answers. And if you spend enough time with me, hopefully you'll become more like me because I am better than you. No, no, no. One of the things about Riverview that I like the most is that I stand here right now and say, man, I haven't got all the answers. I haven't got it all figured out, but he does. And so we're going to figure this thing out together. And if I don't have the answer, I'm not going to lie to you and spew something that I think will work. We're going to discover truth together as we understand what it means to live in community together and seek him together. And the last thing is, it's not a box to check. All things to all people. What it isn't, it's not a box to check. For a lot of you, you live in Ashland. And you know what it's like to go to no frills. I want to give you guys three ways that I go to no frills. The first way that I go to no frills is head down, disinterested in seeing or talking to anyone. I walk into the store. I got my head down. I got my head down. I got my head down. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. I go this direction. I go this direction. I grab something over here. I grab something over here. And then I get to the checkout and I got my head down still and I put my card in and I get out the door and I'm like, yes, I didn't have to talk to a soul. 
Number one way to go to no frills. Number two way to go no frills, exact same mentality, I don't want to see anybody. Head down, head down, I'm walking, I'm walking, I turn into this aisle, I see somebody I know and I'm like, not going down that aisle. And I head over here and I'm like, okay, mental track of where that person was. I got to make sure I stay at least two aisles over here, just on the base of time and I don't want to cross paths with them. And then God does this crazy thing where I do, I do wind up crossing paths with this person. And I'm like, begrudgingly, okay, God, I get it. You brought them into my life. All right, here we go. Let's have a conversation. And I talk to them for five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever. And I walk out of no frills and I'm like, nice job, dude. You got it. You honored God. That was so good. That person is better off because they had an interaction with you. That's a box to check. Now, here's the third way to walk into no frills. Hands open. God, this is your time. This is hard to do. I will admit this to you all. I don't often go into no frills going, I got a half an hour to burn. But that is where so much incredible conversation happens in our town. If you walk into no frills with your hands open, ready to engage with people, God will meet you in that mindset. You will see people you know. And I've had so many incredible Incredible conversations about Husker football, about Ashland football, and about God in the aisles of no frills. I've had people who I haven't seen in months, and I said, wow, it's so good to see you. And guess what? I saw them the next Sunday morning. That's not like a guilt thing. But those are the divine appointments. That's a third way to walk into no frills. But so much of the time, I walk in there with my head down, begrudgingly, hoping I don't see anybody. And that's the way that we tend to do life. I got my agenda. I got my time. I know where I'm going. God, I'm not interested in you shipwrecking my plan. That is not what being all things to all people is. Let me tell you what it is. This is what being all things to all people is. It's having a relationship that is built on trust. Relationships that are built on understanding. It's making people feel the freedom to be them. Not that we're condoning sin, not that we're patting them on the back about their sin, but we're helping them to understand that it doesn't disqualify them from having a relationship with us. And it's in mutual trust and in mutual understanding and making people feel like they're not a project that you develop something that I like to call relational equity where you have so much emotional energy in this person's bank, so much money in this person's bank, that you can tell them anything and their ears are open to what you have to say. That's where the real change happens. When you have so much trust and understanding with another person that you can say hard, difficult things to them and they will hear it because they trust you and love you and know that your heart is for them. Being all things to all people. Hey, I just said some really deep things. Do you know that, let, let me give you some examples of all things to all people that are not like that, but are equally important. If you show up at the elementary school on Wednesdays, I throw lots of dodgeballs at fourth and fifth graders. I love it. I love throwing dodgeballs really hard at those kids. I love hitting them. And when I hit them, I'm like, get out of my game. I love doing that. Is that me being all things to all people for the sake of winning them? 
so that I might save some? You better believe it is. If you came here this Wednesday night, we had a ping pong table set up during the high school group because a couple of the guys were like, hey, where's the ping pong table? Can we get the ping pong table? It hasn't been out for like two years. And I was like, yeah, let's see if we can find the ping pong table. We got the ping pong table out. We had a normal anomaly. Anomaly's over. I had to boot them out of our building after 10 because they were having so much fun playing ping pong. I would just like to say, if Tony wasn't in the room, that I'm the best ping pong player in the room. (laughs) I will challenge any of you. And so the fact is, in 2002, when I started my first job in ministry, I lived in a big house with nothing in it, and I got a ping pong table. And I had so many incredible conversations about life, family, Jesus, Halo, you name it, around that ping pong table. I got good at ping pong, and, and, and I won some because of it. And I believe that setting up that ping pong table on a Wednesday night is going to win some. Now, the next night, I was here Thursday night with my life group guys. And there was one thing that I did Wednesday night that I didn't do Thursday night. And that's we played this game called Welt or, or uh, um, Sting Pong, where you, you lift up your shirt and you put your paddle right here and the other guy hits you with a ping pong ball as hard as they can. I did that with the high school boys. I probably had the worst weld, actually, but that's because I have tender skin. <laughs> the next night, when I was hanging out with my guys, it would have been weird if I'd have walked up to the circle, sat down, and gone, look at this, guys. All things to all people. We had this incredible conversation, and I'm looking at you, too, because you're here, and there might be other guys from my group here, but you guys, I was so blown away by the conversation that we had Thursday night. Thank you for investing in me, for being all things to all people, just by showing up. Now, here's where we get really personal. I'm going to put a quote up on the screen. And this quote, I shared this quote with you guys five and a half years ago. And it's as relevant today as it was then. Let's put this quote up on the screen. Shane's with me already, dude. You're you're so good. I assumed that pastors, the professionals, would have a greater impact on unchurched people. Not so. What made the real difference with the unchurched were personal relationships. The majority who find Christ look back and say that it was a friend who influenced them towards faith. This friendship may have been for a lifetime or just for a season, but here we go. It was the right person at the right time that helped bring them to faith. When I first read this um, this quote, the first thing I did was breathe a sigh of relief because it's not all on me. You guys aren't bringing people here so I can win them. I mean, I want to win people, don't get me wrong, but we are in this thing together. This isn't just about me. It's not about the professionals. It's about people just like you in the right season, at the right time, being all things to all people so that you might win, so you might save some. I don't know about you, but when I stand right here and if I were to share my story with you, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm standing on this spot. It was because of this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy. There's one youth pastor in the lot. There's a whole bunch of small group leaders. There's a whole bunch of my friends in college. Were they professionals? No. You are the right person at the right time 
whether it's for an extended period of time or just for a season. You are here that you might save some. So the question is, who's in your life? Who is in your sphere of influence? Who do you do this with every day? Who do you brush shoulders with? And then what special skills do you have? And special skills sounds way more formal than it actually is. What gifts has God blessed you with for the sake of saving some? Can you throw a dodgeball hard and straight? If the answer is no, that's okay, because I can. And that's not, again, not to pat myself on the back. Because there's a million things that you all do really, really, really well that I can't. So thank you, Jesus, that we have each other. That we have each other. Man, what special skill do you have? What is unique to you? What is one thing that you are good at that God might want to use for the sake of saving some? Do you like to hunt? How might God use that? And on and on. I could give a million examples, but I don't want, I'm not going to. So just from this week, I want to give you a couple of examples of things I saw. Just this week. If you were here during our middle school group, they like to throw dodgeballs at each other from about five feet away. And one of the people in the room who gets hit the most is Shane. And these like seventh grade boys like to throw it at his head from like six feet away. And when they do it, he chooses to love them. He chooses to be patient with them. He chooses to just keep embracing them and leading their small group and laughing with them. You are going to save some. You already have saved some. Man, Jake, when we did the concrete project together, he and I bent over a two by four for hours, cutting the joints in the concrete so it would crack in the right spot. Did you know that that was being all things to all people so that we might save some? Oh, I don't know if you heard him, but he said, that's why we do it. It's not so we get good tan. Look at him. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. And on and on and on. Guys, we need each other in this. The last Wednesday night in December before we went to Christmas break, Um, Anomaly is we eat a little bit, we do announcements, we play a few games, I do a talk, we do small groups, it's an hour and a half long. The last Wednesday before we went to break, uh, there was a girl, sophomore girl, who walked in the doors during small group time. She had missed the first hour and 15 minutes of Anomaly. The reason why? Her grandfather had died that day. And she came walking in here, and I was sitting in my small group all the way in the corner over there. And she came walking in, and her small group meets at that little bank of chairs right outside those doors. And she walked in and took a right and headed towards her her small group area. And her small group leader stood up and met her halfway. And I kid you not, they hugged for a solid two to five minutes. And I sat in my small group, and I watched what was happening. And there was never a point in that hug where I went, man, James... You said the right thing on a Wednesday night. I watched that and I went, that girl has experienced the love of Jesus through that leader. She feels understood. She feels cared for because she's been invested in. 
Fast forward. This story just keeps getting better. Fast forward to this Wednesday night. That same girl, that same sophomore girl came up to me after Anomaly was over and said, I want to start helping at Squad. I want to start helping at Quest. Where can I get involved? We've got a high school sophomore who wants to lead our ministries because somebody has invested in her. Somebody has been all things through all means possible so that she could be saved. Man, this is an incredible, incredible, incredible thing. So I say again, what special gifts has God blessed you with for the sake of saving some? What is there about you that is so unique that God could use to save people. Because on Thursday night, again, I was sitting in my life group looking at the guys around the circle going, man, I'm so glad that I'm not in this alone. As they were sharing the stories of things that were happening in their families and as they were talking about the conversations that they were having as they were going about their regular life, I realized, again, I can't do it myself. I can't show up in any of their lives and expect to have the impact that they can because they're in it. In the same way that I can't show up in my son Will, he's an eighth grader, I can't show up at Will's lunch table and expect to have the kinds of conversations that he can because he's in it. Thank goodness we're in this thing together. All things to all people so that we might save some. So the question is, why was Paul so consumed by this goal of becoming all things to all people? Well, it's, again, it's in 1 Corinthians 9. So put up verse 23, please. 1 Corinthians 9, 23. After Paul says, let's, let's save some. He says, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessing. What does it mean to share in the blessings of the gospel? The gospel is recognizing in its, in its purest, simplest form. The gospel is recognizing your need for a savior. That Jesus is that savior and living your life in step with him. It's knowing who Jesus is to you, what he's done. Sharing in its blessing is knowing him and making him known. It's the only thing that we can do better in this life than we can in heaven, is share the gospel with people. Tell people about Jesus. Paul knows that with every fiber of his being, and he's calling us all to jump in. He's calling the people of Corinth to jump in. He's calling the people of Ashland, of Gretna, of Springfield, of Lincoln, of Omaha, of wherever it is that you are watching this from. You might be in Michigan. Hopefully, you are sensing a tugging on your spirit to jump in because we are so much better together at reaching people. So much better. The challenge is to get after it. To get after it. And so I want to finish by, by reading 1 Corinthians 9.24. And this verse in and of itself could be like an entire sermon series. It is such a phenomenal verse. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Man, Paul's like, guys, you can't like kind of sort of do this. You got to be all in. You got to get up early. You've got to get out there and run. You've got to eat right. You've got to fill in the blank because if you don't, you're going to finish third or fifth or 17th. 
He's like, run in a way that you win the race. Devote yourself to this. I didn't do this in first service, but I'm going to show you a video. I'm going to show you a video. It is incredible. A lot of you might have seen it. This is a video that aired over Christmas break. It's like a three-minute video. It's a commercial. Enjoy it. That video is incredible. There were times when he wanted to quit. Mornings when he didn't want to wake up. Mornings when he was in pain. Times when he was standing there and people made fun of him. And yet he endured it all because he had his eyes on what mattered most to him. And so he was willing to endure all of that. When I think of this, what, what Paul is talking about here with, with running the race to win, this is the picture that I think of. But we want something that's so much better, so much more important than that. We want to see heaven populated. We want to see people move from death into life. We want to be able to say, I was a part of saving some. I'm here that I might save some. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is such a blessing to be in this room with these people. And to, to stand up here and to look at them and to know just how perfect you've made them to be for right now, for this time, for this season of life. That everything that you need, and you don't need anything, but, but we get to partner with you in the lives of people. And so I pray God for a sense of purpose around using who you've made us to be that we might have the blessing, the pleasure of saving some. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.